Welcome to the Rip Effect Podcast. I'm your host, Ricardo Verandes. And today we have a great episode. I always try to bring you interesting guests. And when I can, I try to bring you multiple interesting guests. And I have two people that I think throughout the years and talking to them for so many hours, I can consider friends of mine. And I really got to know really well throughout the years. And uh, and I think they really got to know me really well. And that's Hunter Montz of Mixed Mental Arts and James Corbett of the Corbett Report. Both these guys have been super important in my intellectual growth and expansion. And I can't thank these guys enough for the work they they do on their platforms and also the help that they've given my platform and always taking time to come on my show and talk. And I was looking, these, these are two guests that have been on my show multiple times. So go in the archives, look up James Corbett, look up Hunter Mots. I have hours and hours of conversations with these guys and two of the most interesting, thought-provoking people you can listen to on any podcast. I truly believe that. And it, it was a truly a pleasure to find a, a, a reason to bring these guys together. And I was trying to come up with a topic that I think they could both be excited about. And I think education was one that they both have a history in and they have a lot to say about the present issues and, and future solutions. So uh, I was really excited to have these guys come on to talk about that, to talk about education. Uh, I got a little nervous because Hunter briefly brings up 9-11 uh, early in the podcast, and I'm like, oh, shit, here, go, here goes the whole education topic. It's just, uh, you know, certain big topics like uh, 9-11 and, and certain things that uh, you bring up that are controversial can can kind of lead you down a rabbit hole. And uh, it was just so early in the podcast. I'm like, I'm not sure if we go down this rabbit hole, we'll ever come back to education. But both of them have also been on a past guest show of Brett Vanat, who has a great show called The School Sucks Podcast. James and Hunter have been on that show. So please check out the interviews they did on uh, on Brett's show. They're great conversations. And um I think that's it for now. So enjoy the show, guys. I'll keep this brief. Also remember, I have a Patreon page, Instagram page, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff, uh, YouTube. Uh, if you want to watch the video version of this episode, you can go on our YouTube channel. It's RV Theory 6 which is also my Instagram and Twitter handle. And, um, and also like us on Facebook. If you can give any little bit of, you know, I guess financial help on Patreon, please do. But if not, don't worry about it. I know... Uh, times are tough, money is tight, and uh, we all have other uh, priorities too. But uh, one thing you can do is share this, please. Uh, these conversations are so important. Both James and Hunter, their work should be promoted. It doesn't matter if you're listening to this podcast on James's site, Hunter's site, or my site. It's important to promote people like James, like Hunter, like myself, and the Ripple Effect podcast. Any person or any show that is willing to have their ideas challenged and defend their ideas i uh, thanks again guys and i'll see you on the next one peace thanks guys for for being with me i really appreciate it uh, like I said, I have a man crush on both of you, so I'm glad I found a reason to to get you guys on, <laughs> and uh, and have uh, to to quote Hunter Matz's line, some idea sex, and 
it's just uh, like I said, I'm a huge like I've told you guys in emails in the past. I'm a huge fan of you guys. I I always have these uh, these fantasies of getting people I really enjoy and thinkers that are inspirational and really been influences in in my uh, I guess intellectual growing. To, to have them on and, and, and just see what happens. And I'm glad I found a topic that it, when it hit me, I'm like, Eureka, I'm like, both of you guys have had a history in education. Uh, you're both passionate about it. And I guess for, um, I guess a lack of, of having a better way of describing it, both of your, your work, your podcasts, uh, James with his documentaries, his, all his writings, uh, Hunter with his multiple podcasts and, and his books, uh, you know, straight a conspiracy. I, you both trying to do the same thing, and and I, I think uh, you know spark ideas, challenge ideas, and uh, and I think that's something that we're all trying to do. So I'm glad we can come together for for this very important topic because we're all close to we're around the youth, and we're we're always talking about the future, and and I think that education is a huge part of how do we you know what's wrong with it? Everybody complains about it. What's wrong with it? How did we get here? And and most importantly, how do we fix it? So. If you guys aren't familiar with each other's uh, background in education, can you give a brief just history, uh, just overlook of of what your link to education has been? In? Whoever wants to start first, I, I guess I should pick somebody. James, why don't you go first? Mostly I want to know, James, are you currently in Japan? I am. I am currently sitting in Japan. Yeah. So <laughs> it is amazing. Wednesday morning for me guys, me and you guys. I guess it's Tuesday evening. So there you go. Um, yeah, I came to Japan in 2004 as a teacher, which is funny because I uh, I studied English uh, literature as my major in, in university for my undergrad. And then I went to D- Dublin to do Anglo-Irish literature for a year. And so, of course, everyone always asks me, what are you going to do with your degree? To which I would always reply, I'm going to frame it because... That's the only thing I could think of to do with it. I did. I was absolutely insistent. I would not be a teacher and I would not be a journalist. <laughs> uh, funny how life comes at you. So um, in 2004, I thought, well, hey, here's a fun way to go and make some money for a year and see a bit of the world and just, you know, kill another year before I decide what to do with my life. So I'm going to go to Japan, teach English for a year. And, uh, of course, you need zero qualifications of any sort to come out here as an English teacher in the, at least in the private uh, system that they have for the, uh, the English conversation schools, as they call them, which are basically the McDonald's of the English teaching world. Um, so I showed up having had exactly zero experience in, as an educator and probably taught my first lessons exactly as you would expect that to go. Uh, I did learn some interesting things about teaching, though, through that experience. Um, So I stayed here for a year, as I originally intended, but then, you know, things happen, and what, 14 years later, I'm still here. Now I have a family and a house and all of that, so I'm very much committed to being here in Japan. Uh, I have not been a teacher for the last seven years. I've been doing the website full-time since 2011, but between 2004 and 2011, I was a teacher, first in that McDonald's English conversation school system, basically, Um, uh, but then in the public school system here as well, teaching at elementary and junior high schools, basically teaching children how to say i like apples um so it was it was an interesting experience uh from getting both from the the private education uh system and then the public education system and seeing and developing my own 
understanding of what it means to be a teacher and how to teach uh, something effectively, which I think informs the work that I do in my podcast. I think uh, if I had not had that experience, I would not be as effective as I am at communicating some of the ideas that I do on my podcast. Awesome. Well, and the ability to say I like apples presumably has special resonance in Japan because of Death Note, right? <laughs> I know nothing about manga that. or anime, so <laughs> it's <laughs> off my head. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, like James, apparently 2004 was a great year to be lost. Uh, <laughs> I moved out to California having no idea what to do except that I wanted to be in California. And then because uh, the thing that you can do with no special qualifications um, is teaching. I became a tutor um, and uh, started tutoring and then started a tutoring company because, again, I had no idea, but basically knew that I wanted to have some money um, and not have to worry about money. And then uh, in doing the tutoring company, um, along with Katie O'Brien, who I'd started the company with, we came to realize that tutoring rather than culture creating independence was actually creating dependence um, and that it was essentially a parasitic pursuit because you actually didn't want your students to get better um, and be able to work on their own. So we were like, the world doesn't need another tutoring company. What it needs is to put the tutoring companies out of business. So we wrote a book called The Straight A Conspiracy and since then have been focused on teaching people how to teach themselves so they don't need to rely on tutors anymore. Awesome, awesome. Oh, and oh. Then specific plugs. Uh, out of that, I ended up doing this podcast uh, with Brian Callen, um, which you know was called the Brian Man Thoughts. Then it was called the Brian Callen Show. Then it was called the Brian Callen Show with Hunter Motts. Then it was called Mixed Mental Arts, and now it's probably going to be called go back to being called the Brian Callen Show. Um, and then also co-host a, a podcast around the book that I co-wrote with Katie called The Straight A Conspiracy. Really, I thought Mixed Mental Arts was really picking up steam, and you're going to go back to the Brian Callen Show. Well, so we're going to probably call the podcast that Brian and I do, The Brian Callen Show, and then Mixed Mental Arts will become an umbrella organization. So, for example, Ricky, your podcast can become part of the Mixed Mental Arts movement. Oh, um, so a cult, would have a dojo. A First my podcast, then my wife. I know how these cults work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I swear there's no sex stuff at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of sex talk in this podcast already i know first I know. from ricky yeah. now hunter What's we're just trying on? to get the young kids uh, uh interested you know we're trying to get them we know how to keep them uh intrigued <laughs> but uh so so okay so we all agree there's an issue right so you hear terms a lot like you know depression school system and and uh uh, common core and every time people complain about the the school system you you constantly hear terms like that how did we get get here like what what really what molded this educational system and and uh and how do we get in this mess in the first place which and you guys want to take the lead uh, uh james wait did i lose you can i can can you i can't hear you all of a sudden sorry i was muted Oh, okay. I'm, I've only been podcasting for like a decade. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, okay, well then, why don't I go first since I uh, so rudely messed up? All right. Uh, well, I mean, if uh, going for my own uh, research into this, if you want to talk about the development of the modern schooling system, you would be looking at the Prussian education system, which was obviously developed in Prussia, um, is specifically in the 
the the wake of a devastating military loss, uh, basically when the Napoleonic armies came and soundly trounced, trounced uh, Prussia, and this created a lot of consternation among the Germanic people, the German nation, although, of course, German wasn't a, a nation state at that time. Uh, Germany was not a nation state. But you had people like uh, Gottlieb, uh, Johann Gottlieb Fichte come along and write his addresses to the German nation. And this was wildly popular at the time. And basically what he was saying, um, specifically, he said that they had to create a, uh, a, a German nation national idea a sense of the nation and we had we had to mold children from a very young age to grow up to be dedicated to the nation so that we can make ourselves great so that make germany great again i guess uh so that we can uh, uh essentially defeat our enemies and we won't be you know def- humiliated by the napoleons of the world so he said specifically uh the aim of the state is positive law internal peace and a condition of affairs in which everyone may be diligence uh may by diligence earn his daily bread and satisfy the needs of his material existence so long as God permits him to live. All this is only a means, a condition, and a framework for what love of father, fatherland really wants, namely that the eternal and the divine may blossom in the world and never cease to become more and more pure, perfect, and excellent. This is why this love of fatherland must itself govern the state and be the supreme final and absolute authority. Its first existence of this authority will be to limit the state's choice of means to secure its immediate object internal peace. Uh, To attain this object, the natural freedom of the individual must, of course, be limited in many ways. And that was the that was really the heart of what became an education system, um, again called the Prussian education system, that was to mold these children into obedient lovers of the fatherland, in the service of the state and in the service of this idea to make this great nation. And that was exported around the world and adopted in the United States, uh, explicitly adopted in uh, Japan and many other places around the world because it was extraordinarily effective at molding children from a very young age to uh, the the thing that most people don't understand when they're thinking about this in just uh, general terms is that, of course, education and schooling are different things. And education is the process of becoming educated about a subject. Schooling is the process of habituation into a series of tasks, routines, uh, uh, methods of, of potentially educating yourself, but perhaps more importantly, being educated into how the world works. And of course, this comes from that that mindset in 18th, 19th century, where we were starting to get the Industrial Revolution. And there were people with large degrees of resources who were highly motivated to get children habituated to the idea of working in factories. That was going to be the main aim of the education system. You're going to learn how to be good, obedient worker runts for our factories. And this was explicit. I mean, they talked about this quite openly um, in a lot of the uh, documents that I've cited in some of my research where, I mean, even Woodrow Wilson, of course, uh, famously was talking about this. We we want to raise up uh, two uh, two different classes of uh, society. Basically, there will be an education system for the, you know, the the people who are going to go into 
politics and uh, the, you know, the leaders of finance and all of that. But then there will be another separate education system for the vast majority of the public that will just teach them how to be good workers. And that is essentially what the schooling system is ultimately teaching. I mean, did you think you were sitting there through algebra class because, you know, learning about tangent and sine and cosine and whatever is, is going to be remarkably relevant to your life 20 years from now? Or were you just being habituated into thinking about a certain subject for 45 minutes and then the bell rings? and you all get get up and you all go together to the next classroom to begin the next stage you were being habituated into a, a method of 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 existing or a, a, an expectation of what your life would be like and uh, that is the psychological effect of the Prussian education system that unfortunately most people think is education so I think even to begin exploring this subject we have to look at the historical, roots of what we now think of as education and how that has affected our view of the subject itself so that we when we're talking about education we're generally talking about schooling not education yeah and there's a big difference between education and indoctrination which is i think what james is pointing out here you know education is about drawing the individual out and increasing their adaptive capacity so that they can handle more challenges on their own so they're independent so they're resilient Indoctrination is about teaching you to think the way that the people in power want you to think and making you dependent on the system. Um, and, you know, uh, humans are really, really good at turning things into their exact opposite. And the educational system is, generally speaking, the exact opposite of what an educational system would be. Um, the, you know, I'm really glad as well, in particular, that James brought up the uh, Woodrow Wilson quote. Um, which is, you know, something that also we talked about on the School Sucks podcast the last time I did that. The other one that I would say, though, is, is that obviously what James is doing here is telling, uh, you know, a sort of first approximation story. Um, and, you know, in terms of education, it's very much like uh, there's a famous John Maynard Keynes quote, practical men who believe themselves to be quite exempt from any intellectual influence are usually the slaves of some defunct economist. Madman authority who hear voices in the air are distilling their frenzy from some academic scribbler of a few years back. So education has been, so there's the Prussian model and then it gets tinkered with by a million different educational reformers over the last few centuries and they've all got their crackpot theories and so it's not just that you have the Prussian educational system you then have like all these wacky theories that have also been thrown into the mix so it's also very confused um, and you know all the time I mean the, one of the things that always strikes me with parents is, is that they're picking schools and they're shopping on criteria but they're looking at things like do the schools have swimming pools what are their sports programs like and they're not asking well, what is the underlying educational philosophy which is really what drives the choices and often the underlying educational philosophies are fucking nuts yeah and and let me underline that point that you made about the the various people who have come along to tinker with this this general model over the last couple of centuries and uh, to arrive at the end of that uh, that process we had back in 2009 the bill and melinda gates foundation um kicking in 50 million dollars to do their measures of effective teachers project where they used things like bracelets that they put on um students to measure galvanic skin responses and uh, to use biometric technology to read and record skin conductance in order to find out how these ch children were, were uh, learning or not learning during uh, different times of the day and things like this. I mean, this is the type of thing that, you know, the Gates are directing their money, uh, money towards in order to 
basically technocratize the education system and to make it into this neo-behaviorist uh, model of, of we, we basically, you know, humans are robots and we're going to find the best way to program these robots to, uh, to, uh, to learn what we want them to learn in the best possible way. This is, this is sort of the end result of this, all of this tinkering, or at least the, the latest stage of it. And it's only, I think, going to get even crazier from here. So uh, absolutely. I mean, it's not like this is a process that happened a couple of centuries ago and stopped it's it's ongoing to this day and is still still being directed by uh family fortunes to a large extent just as the rockefellers had a huge influence on uh, education in the late 19th early 20th century uh people like the gates are having a huge influence in the early 21st century not just with that 50 million dollars uh project that they they did in 2009 but with uh uh, what was the latest figure that I saw? I think it's um, $1.7 billion that the Gates are now investing in the U.S. education system specifically because they're so concerned about the children. Um, question mark. Well, I think I think here's the, here's the real question, uh, and I think where potentially James and I might divide, is, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of Hanlon's razor, never a tribute to malice, what can be explained by stupidity. Um, you know, do you think this is malicious, James, or do you think that this is just people who do mean well but don't necessarily know what they're doing? Oh, I think it's absolutely malicious, and I think it's uh, the Gates are absolutely uh, a eugenics-supporting family that act, uh, that comes from the same roots as someone like the Rockefellers, who genuinely believe themselves to be a superior a superior class of human beings and are using their money to try to manipulate society. Yeah, so I think that's that's probably where James and I will divide is, uh, you know, is it first degree or second degree uh, incompetence? Uh, you know, I'm going to go more for the sort of uh, manslaughter, accidental homicide uh, route. And I think, you know, James would say that it's much more first degree and that it's intentional and they know what they're doing. Um and yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I don't, I, that's, I think that's yeah. that, but I think regardless, the solution remains been, the ha same. Historically, hasn't like, you know, royal families, uh, empires, those who are really running the show uh, or those in power, they've always felt like, you know, like democracy is like this funny little thing that they convince us exists. And so, but they don't really believe that we are intelligent enough to actually make the decisions. I feel like really overall, they should be the ones making the final say, as long as they give us this false sense of, of, of choice and options, then we stay happy. But at the end of the day, like as you see with lobbyists and you see uh, from you know all, all types of people who, you know, Henry Kissinger's and the people who really influence policy and all this stuff. I mean, those are people who are really influencing what's going on. All this other stuff just seems like theater, doesn't it, Hunter? Yeah, well, I think, you know, there's no doubt that there's that basic contempt and there, that basic sense of aristocracy that we're the better people and that we should make the decisions for other for, for people. But I, um, you know, dysfunctional systems often evolve, uh, you know, and they're driven by those prejudices and there's that inexorable evolution. But the individuals don't necessarily understand all the moving parts of it. And you can arrive at these very dysfunctional systems that have the basic effect of excluding people without having had planners, you know, map this out on a draw drawing board. So, for example, you know, was the U.S. I mean, you know, James, I, I 
we can I don't know necessarily that we want to get into 9-11 but uh, you know I mean for example I think what's interesting is, is that simultaneously very often when you're talking with somebody who tends to believe in what we would call conspiracy theories is that they believe that you know the government is entirely corrupt you know corrupt and inept but at the same time they're able to pull off these massive you know false flag operations that require a level of genius mastery and secrecy that is so far beyond what the actual government <laughs> a level of genius mastery and secrecy that only 19 men with box cutters could possibly pull off but yeah the government yeah. couldn't do that right yeah <laughs> no but i mean that's that's the point is that i don't think that I mean, you know, yeah, if you want to talk about 9-11, 19 men with box cutters who sneak onto a plane, exploit a loophole, and get lucky one time. Like, Al-Qaeda has not succeeded in, day, in producing... Yeah. yeah, and that's that's the point, is, is that Al-Qaeda has not succeeded in reliably producing those sorts of attacks. Well, actually, LCIA right? never did anything without intelligence help, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, well, we could get into actual that's, history. That's... But, that's well, but see, that's the thing. You're making the claim that you have the actual history and claiming legitimacy. And the point is, is that, you know, we're both all dealing with partial information here. And what do each of us really know? Like, we both think that we know things, but it, again, like how credible it is. And it doesn't really matter. Like, you and I can argue about whether the educational system is, you know, dysfunctional by intent or whether the educational is dysfunctional by incompetence. But the reality is that, you know, us being divided on that small point only makes it easier for the people in power to continue to drive this dysfunctional system. So I think it's better that we set aside the question of whether it was done by intent or by malice, which we can't really answer because we weren't in a lot of those meetings and we're going to be dealing with partial information and focus on what are the things that we can practically do with the resources available to us to start to evolve our way to a healthier, more accountable system. Well, I agree completely that the solutions lie with us rather than what yeah. is being done to us and by whom. So uh, I can completely agree on that point. Now, I think if yeah, you, and I think if you gave James yeah, an hour, ahead, he might slightly change your opinion on nine eleven. I've seen Th Thaddeus Russell talk to Sc uh, Scott Horton, right? And uh, this is a podcast. If you guys want to look it up, it's a really interesting podcast on Thaddeus Russell's uh, done registered podcast. And Thaddeus Russell is a huge skeptic about the Oklahoma City bombing, right? And Scott Horton really knows his shit about the Oklahoma City bombing, so. Thaddeus, much like yourself, was kind of, you know, like, oh, it's very skeptical. But he's like, you know what? Thaddeus is very open to having his mind change and, and having an open debate. So uh, Scott Horton went down that rabbit hole. And at the end of that show, Thaddeus had a very different opinion on it. And I, again, I think and that's a whole nother story for an, another day. But I, I think a lot of these issues uh I think when you really do your research specifically on them, and I've had plenty of people on the show, like you know Anthony Schaefer, who was you know who, who has said and and testified that those uh, terrorists shouldn't even been let on the plane. And so there's a lot of pieces, and you're, like you said, nobody knows exactly what happened, but we're all intelligent enough where we can connect some dots. You know, not to the point that the Alex Jones dots, where these dots are very far away, and you're connecting them. But I'm saying these dots are close enough where you can have a, a very educated. Uh, you know, opinion on on possibly what what happened, or um, you know, or, or just have an opinion on the events and and what was coincidence and what wasn't. And I think when there's enough things that happen, you know, you you have to, I guess, be open minded. And Hunter, I know you're very open minded to a lot of things, but 
again, when it comes down to big things like 9-11, I think it's a huge topic and probably something that would take, you know, longer than we have today to get into. Uh, but I, I think the point that you made is very important. I think that at the end of the day, those that slight difference in opinion isn't as important as, as I guess, um, the goal of this of this episode and the goal is is to look at what the issue is because really education i think is and i guess to bring it back all again to bring it back uh to to the topic of the show uh education and 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 what the show is is what we're going to discuss today is linked to things like 9-11 because i think that a lot of times we are like one thing i have learned is that i don't know shit about anything like and and the more I, I look into stuff, the less I realize I know about anything. And and I am I've with as I get older, I've, I'm quieter when people are having conversations because before I'd, I'd have an opinion and I'd I'd want to share my opinion and be a part of the discussion. And and now uh, I'm I'm so curious about so many different things. And the more I learn uh, about things, the more I realize like I really don't know that much about this, and I really don't know that much about the, that, and I really shouldn't say this is bullshit or that is true. And, because I always end up having my mind changed. And uh, and I think that's a part of what we're talking about. I think w- w- what our education system, I mean, because it, firsthand, I know firsthand, it's, it failed me. I was in special ed, uh, you know, most of my life. I was uh, told at a very young age that I'm a hands-on student. I'm not a, a book smart kid. So go to a vocational school and they threw me in a vocational school um, to give it a try. And it was all, and it wasn't because I didn't like learning. It was because they didn't know how to connect with me they didn't know how to uh, make this information relevant and why it was important you know they're just giving you information for the sake of information and and they're, so they're, I, I was always one of those people that I rebelled you know I was Portuguese I was supposed to play soccer I ended up playing in a metal band and skateboarding you know and and uh, I rebelled against everything that I was supposed to do you know and and um, so school was just I had this just instinct to rebel against like sitting down and I'm like this seems so unnatural you're asking me to sit down like I'm full of energy and you're asking me to sit down and just listen for you know this boring lecture for how many minutes and and uh and all of it just seemed you know just very ridiculous to me and uh so I rebelled against it and I thought it was because I didn't like learning but it wasn't it was a system and um so like I said that the way it's linked it's because I think we should question everything and even things that we have this instinct to to to, to, to dismiss immediately uh, I think it's it's much more important to to question everything and be open to everything, even if it's something as ridiculous as I mean, I watched a whole documentary on flat Earth. It's ridiculous, but I was willing to watch it. Why? Because I'm like, I'm not going to be that idiot who who finds out last, you know. So I'm like, you know what? Let me watch this documentary and see if it changes my mind. It it's didn't. always great to challenge your assumptions, even if the challenges are crazy or zany, if only because it makes you think more deeply about why you believe what you believe. But it's interesting because I come at the whole education thing from the exact opposite side as you. I was the straight A student. I did absolutely fine in school. I was able to regurgitate the right facts and dates and whatever on the right tests and say things in the right way that they, you know, I got the pat on the head. In my defense, I was always the student that was uh, trying to I never I never just regurgitated what the teacher told me. I was always trying to argue back against the teacher in various ways. But I did so in ways that I guess were appreciative or that the the, uh, the teachers were appreciative of enough that, you know, I, I ended up getting the straight A's. 
I understand most, uh, almost everyone I ever talked to has the same experience as you. I hated school. I could barely get through it. For me, it was almost the default mode. It's like, oh, this is easy. I could continue doing this forever. So I went on to university and I went on to grad school and I could have kept going through academia, except I found I absolutely hated academia. So I, uh, I got off that train. But for me, it was the exact opposite approach. But I still absolutely have a I don't want to say detest there are things about the way that the education system works in our current day and age that are effective and that are good I wouldn't say scrap everything but I certainly see the problems with the way the system is set up even though you know I I got the, the you know rewards of it in some sense well, clearly the system isn't working for a lot of people. And I mean, you know, the fact that people end up in extremism, end up in gangs, means that it's not preparing people to find a place in their societies, right? So we know that there are huge problems. I think the other huge problem as well is, is that educational systems are national educational systems. And so inherently they're focused on the needs of a particular nation state, teaching the history of that nation state, rather than teaching people a global human history which prepares them for an inherently international age. Um, so I think that's one of the main things. And then the other thing is, is that, you know, the uh, preparation of people for a factory model assumes that they're going to be performing one routine task for the rest of their life. Routine tasks are what robots and uh, software do best. And so the point is, is that it's not preparing people to have to be adaptive for their whole lives and their whole careers. And I think that, you know, that's the point is, is that I think that sometimes when we have these conversations about education, we can end up just sort of criticizing the old model. But as Buck Minister Fuller said, you know, the old model is seldom destroyed by criticizing, but it's simply going ahead and building the new one. And I think that's the point is that's what podcasting, what websites, what all of that are doing is we're already in the process of building that free open market uh, alternative that is international and that is competitive. And, you know, essentially very quickly the old sort of state model or even the private university models are just going to become more and more relevant and we should hurry up and just keep on serving people better and better and better and increasing the, their loyalty and their focus will shift from what has been handed to them to this thing that is much more competitive and much more appealing. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I, I wrote to you guys in an email that a friend of mine who's actually a teacher, uh, uh, Mike Sabrina, so I'll give him the shout out for the quote. He's the one who, who told me, you know, we were talking about education and, and whatnot. And he, he sparked this, uh, this just idea by saying, uh, you know, we're talking about the problem with education and, and all this stuff. And he's like, why should kids be taught anything that you can look up? And it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a very interesting point because really, if, if you agree that they shouldn't, then it's like, what exactly should we be teaching kids? And then how do you go about doing that? Because I think those are two really important topics. You teach them how to look up and you teach them how to sift through what they look up. Because just because you can look something up, there's a lot of shit out there and a lot of shinola. And so you have to teach them to be discerning and to be able to sift through those, but also how to find that information for themselves. And you're teaching them essentially how to think for themselves. It really comes down to metacognition or yeah. thinking about thinking. Well, let me, let me take a crack at disagreeing with the premise there, because... Um it's uh, I, I understand the concept of it, but there's something extremely important that's missing from that, which is that if all we are is basically vehicles for looking th information up that's already out there, it, the absolute I mean, the, the end 
goal of presumably of any process of looking for information is to come to a conclusion about that information. Having data is different than coming to a conclusion and being able to process and synthesize that data is clearly the most important part of that process that we're engaged in. So, yes, I mean, in terms of memorizing the periodic table or something, I mean, maybe if you're going to be a chemist, it would be a good idea. But for most people, probably not that uh, valuable an activity. But what, what does it I mean, understanding the, the data that you get. Yeah, you can look up, you know, what is the 47th element or whatever. But what does that mean? Oh, 47 protons? What, what does that mean? And, and there are things that, that come from the information itself that I think we need a human level of understanding to even begin to understand why, what this information is telling us and why. And we also have to understand what our end goal in that information is. I mean, if we're just trying to, you know, do a, an experiment where we get a certain type of reaction, then maybe we need the information for one sort of set of reasons but if we're looking more deeply at this you know the atomic structure of something and we want to know you know its atomic weight or something then we need the data for a different set of reasons so we can then choose well what what are we doing with this information so what information specifically are we going to look up uh, the the implication I think of the premise is that well if we can just look up you know the periodic table then who cares you know don't you don't have to ever think about it well that's that I think that's that's the wrong way of approaching it uh, the human element is the the key part of this the the why of why we are doing this is absolutely the key part of this so um I guess what I'm trying to say is yeah there are a lot of things that we don't need to memorize and regurgitate on tests but there are, uh, that kind of misses the point of why we're doing this in the first place. I mean clearly the point of education is to understand how to process synthesize information to come to a conclusion that should be the goal of the education process more so than than looking at facts and uh, the mindset that, that that all we are doing it really is memorizing or regurgitating facts is, I think, part of the problem itself, that perhaps that's the impression that people are left with after however many hours of public schooling, that they think that's what that's what we were there for. We were there to memorize the periodic table. No, we were there to learn, presumably, we were there to learn certain things that we could then apply in different ways in our life. And it's the application process of all of this that I think is the excluded part in a in a question like that. Yeah, and Danielle... Yeah, and I think oh, the yeah. other thing... Well, the other thing I was going to say, Ricky, is, you know, I mean, like, it's easy to criticize the public educational system and educational systems in general, but, like, the, the power of practice is still very much essential. Like, for example, you have lots of guitars around you, right? If I look up all the chords on a guitar, does that make me a guitarist? No, of course not. No. Because you got to put in thousands and thousands of hours of practice, and especially like if you want to be able to improvise, you have to like practice and internalize so many different things to then have those things right at your fingertips, so you can you know call on them and remix them in interesting ways. So there's a lot to still be said for practice and rote memorization, and in the same way. You know, if you are going to be a chemist, I was a biochemistry major. So, yes, you need to have a real facility with all of this information. It's not just about looking it up. You need to have all internalized. It's no different than music. So, you know, if you're a chemist, you internalize lots and lots of different ways of synthesizing different chemicals. And then you can pull on them and recombine them in interesting ways to figure out some path to be able to synthesize the chemical you want. Like, if you want to be Walter White, from Breaking Bad, 
you need to have like done a lot of chemical scales in inverted commas to then be able to figure out on the fly how to kill Tuco in the back of your RV in the New Mexico desert. Um, so, you know, like, yes, practice, you know, internalization, rote memorization, these things still have value. Um, but, you know, I think the problem is, is that, you know, again, it is that disconnection and not treating kids like human beings. So what happens is that central planners somewhere decide these are the scales that kids need to learn. And then you're like, practice these fucking scales, these chemical scales, these math scales, these history scales. And then, you know, as Elon Musk has pointed out, it's like, why the fuck are we doing this? And you never answer that question for them. And so it's not connected to any sort of purpose, larger vision or anything like that. So there are really simple things that we can do to fix things and to work crucially within the existing educational paradigm. Because the system has huge problems, but, you know, I mean, the big mistake that they made in the French Revolution and that revolutions always make is they want to tear down the whole system and then all you've done is create a power vacuum. In practice... There are lots and lots of teachers, and this is already what we're doing with Mixed Mental Arts, who are keen to be better teachers. And if you can empower them with better materials so they can reform and start to fix their system uh, from within, then you can have a counterinsurgency from within the educational system to be able to push back and start to change things. Yeah, no, and, and I think some some of what you're hitting on is stuff that you talk about in the Straight A Conspiracy, which, uh, James, if you're not familiar with it, it's uh, Hunter's uh, uh, book. And uh, so he's not anti-conspiracy. He has a book with the word conspiracy in it. Who would have known? And uh, so, but it, 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 Daniele Bignelli said it, uh, I think, I don't know if he said it on my show or one of uh, one of the shows about like the, the idea of just knowing information for the sake of knowing information isn't, in, it, that doesn't fascinate him. What It's knowing information that benefits his life, his outlook, his perspective. How does this make my life or, or or people around me's life better or yeah. help my outlook yeah and let's let's not reduce that to to too simplistic or mechanistic a thing you know i only want to know this if it helps me do x or something no there are there is such thing as as knowing something for, because you want to know uh, just for the sake of knowing you 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 enjoy the exploration you and you you appreciate art for art's sake i mean there's there's things to life that are beyond just i need this in order to produce x task but having put that into the mix, then yes, I mean, still, we need, there, there is the element of, uh, I think this is what Hunter was getting at, the, 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 human, the human volition that comes from having a, a task or a goal or something that you want to accomplish. And that, again, that doesn't have to be a simplistic or mechanistic thing that you, have, you want to per perform a task X so you learn, you know, A, B, and C. It's that there's, some, there's something from within that is motivating you to do this, and uh, that that and motivation and volition and, and why are we doing this are of course always the keys to any successful learning endeavor that I've ever engaged in. When I want to know something, you better believe I'm going to drill into it. I'm going to get into it. I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, when I don't want to know something, eh, it's going to be exactly as you say, practicing scales. Twenty years ago, I studied. I studied guitar for six months and it got to the point where i like okay i can play a few chords but now i have to practice all these scales Ugh, i don't want to do this so i gave up now i'm doing it again but i'm approaching it from a very different perspective i 
I actually am interested in music theory now. I'm like, really? What? What is a G major seven, and why does that? Why does that resolve to a C like that? And blah blah blah. I'm interested in that side of it. So now I'm approaching it from the other side, and now I'm enjoying learning all these different scales. It's it's always the question of volition and what you want what you want to accomplish, why you want to accomplish it, that is, I think, the key part of this. And so, exactly right, treating children as human beings who have their own ideas, their own motivations, their own things that they're interested in exploring is a revolutionary idea, but perhaps it shouldn't be. And before I forget, let me just put in the obligatory references I do in every one of these conversations and will do every single time until the day I die. Children Full of Life is the best documentary anyone will ever watch on schooling, I think. So if you haven't yet seen it, please do so. Yeah. It- yeah, and I think in terms of that volition and that desire, like that's the that's the challenge and you know, is is that that requires actually having a conversation with the kid, getting to know the kid, figuring out what it requires a real human connection. It's not something that you can automate or standardize. And so the whole point is that it's no wonder that central planners, rather than trusting in this sort of distributed process, what? Like some fucking teacher in Abilene, Kansas is going to like have a conversation with some kid and like they're going to figure out the kid's desires and then the kid's going to be motivated and somehow that's going to lead to some sort of skill that is actually useful for the community. Fuck that shit. Like we're much smarter than those people. We're going to come up with a standard curriculum and they're going to just fucking do it and it's going to be great. Um, And so, you know, but that's the basic problem of any evolutionary system. It was the same thing with the free market. The point is, is that it makes much more sense if you're the Soviets to be like, yes, we shall centrally plan everything. There's going to be a five-year plan, guys. It's going to be great. We're going to lay out the whole thing, and then we're going to fulfill our objectives. Unfortunately, that's not how evolutionary systems work, and it does require this massive leap of faith that somehow a bunch of individuals doing a bunch of shit that you don't control, can't see, can't understand, can't track, are going to figure out way better solutions than you ever would in, you know, Goss plan. Um, or, you know, wherever. Well, one thing you hear, you hear people our age uh, say a lot is, uh, you know, besides the fact that, or they say a lot to the youth now, uh, you know, you hear that they say that they're lazy, that their music sucks, that they have access to <laughs> all, all, all the information in the world, but they're not smarter than, than maybe our generation. So they're smarter, but not wiser. And I think, you know, that's kind of what we're hitting on is this idea that like you look at uh, a 13 year old today has access to way more information than any of us had at 13, but yet, what are they doing with it? Do they understand why it's important? Do they, you know, it, like like you're saying, James, right? You you were initially when you first uh, wanted to learn the guitar, you were told to, t- to learn the scales for the sake of learning the scales. But and then once you started looking at music, like okay, why why are these scales important? This this gives me a better explanation on why certain things sound pleasant and other things don't so now you have a reason to, to, to study it and and learn it and look into it so i think that reason so it's like learning you know names and dates for the learning for, for the sake of learning names and dates you know i would never look up uh you know the history of prussia just because the teacher told me to but if somebody said okay this had an influence on the way our school systems are built today then all of a sudden it gives me that little bit of like i'm intrigued it gives me a reason to understand because like i always say you know if you you have a much better understanding of today if you follow the path backwards and you see how we got here you know learning history and um and i tell kids all, all the time and people who are like oh i hate history i'm like well do you you like basketball do you like hearing about the the 60 celtics or 
or watching old video of Michael Jordan. I'm like, that's basketball history. Do you like old cars? That's car history, automotive history. I'm like, so everybody likes history, just might not be geopolitical, might not be education, might not be military, might not be, but it might, it, whatever hobby you're into. So, um, so what, what do you think, so w- to get back to what I guess we were n- initially talking about, okay, so why teach kids something they can't memorize? Uh, you're, you're right. So they have access to all this information. They can look up anything they want at any time. But so the, more importantly, I guess it's, it's more important to, to get them to, to question things and, and figure out what information is important and why. So how do you go about that? I mean, do you, do you have a Montessori-type school? Do you have, uh, which you know I'm not super familiar with. I know a little bit about the history of Maria Montessori and, and stuff like that and her philosophy, but uh, I'm not sh- sure exa- specifically how they go about trying to uh, get kids to critically think and, and, and spark imagination. But obviously, our current system doesn't do that. So how, how do you do that? Anybody? Well, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I think, you know, the there's the famous Deng Xiaoping quote, doesn't matter if the cat is white or black, so long as it catches mice. And, you know, I think that we're witnessing a lot of people doing that. Some people are going to go to a Montessori school. Fucking great. Like, there are going to be a whole bunch of other schools that are different ways. Some kids are going to go to a public school and have that one great teacher who is really doing awesome work. And some people are going to get it much later in life, as we have, by reading books, listening to a whole bunch of podcasts, watching shit on YouTube. Like, there doesn't have to be one method. I mean, I think that's the whole irony, Ricky, is is that, like, you know, the central planning fallacy was that there would be one method. (laughs) And there's not going to be. It's going to be a chaotic garden of people trying lots and lots of different things. And some things will really work for some people, and other people will think that they're total dog shit. And that's great. That's, you know, that's the free market at work. Yeah, but the school system, for example, it takes up so much of a kid's life, right? I mean, you're there all Mm -hmm. day. You're, you're put on pills if you don't sit still because, you know, something's wrong with you. And when you look at any, I mean, my, my three-year-old is still running around upstairs. I can hear him right now and he sh- should be going to bed. I mean, to, to think that some teacher could get him to sit down uh, at any period of time, it's like, it, it's, you know, it, I'm like, that's going to be tough. And I'm going to have teachers coming up to me saying that my kid has ADD or ADHD. And I'm going to tell that teacher, you look at uh children in in any species if it's if it's puppies if it's guess what they do they're playing they're full of energy and my child just just like any healthy child is full of energy and if you don't give it uh somewhere to to use up that energy uh you know i we we my family owned a husky at one point and i know like huskies if you don't walk it every single day and you don't let it use up its energy it's gonna go crazy and a child is no different and so it's like if if the current public system doesn't uh, work. I understand there's a lot of different ways of going about it, but do you still have a, a public school type system and with more options? Or do you or do you go to the homeschooling well, route? Or do you say, fuck the whole thing, and let's just let kids have access to the internet more often than not, follow their curiosity, and maybe school shouldn't be taking up as much, as your, uh, as much time uh, out of your life as it should. I mean, kids are waking up tired. I mean, there's kids that wake up to go to school before people go, wake up to go to work. I mean, you're not mentally absorbing information when you're tired like that. And then you're not, you know, so it's like there's all these issues. So do we have to just scrap that, or do we have a standardized building that we go to and 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 or do you you know or do you give kids more freedom to to do other things well why don't we move beyond the abstract and move to the specific and talk about your son because the reality i had a you know we had lane norton um and then andy galpin on the podcast 
and you know they're both nutrition guys and you know lane said something very interesting which was he said there's a reason why i don't have a yacht and the reason why i don't have a yacht is because i'm not peddling a one-size-fits-all solution uh, which is how you get to be rich and have a yacht. The reality of education is, you know, if you look at the students that I've worked with over the last, you know, 14 years, or the students that James worked with, or, you know, your son or anything like that, there's not a one-size-fits-all solution just in the same way that there's not a one-size-fits-all shoe for a kid, right? You have to look at that kid, you have to look at that family, you have to look at those circumstances, and you have to figure out what's right. Because, you know, you might have the option in Massachusetts sending your kid to a Montessori school. But there are plenty of places where right now, logistically, there is no Montessori school. And you may have the financial bandwidth to be able to homeschool your kids. But for a lot of people, like regardless of what they'd like to do, that financial bandwidth just doesn't exist. And so then they have to figure out within working the hours that they work and being as exhausted as they are and all of that, you know, sending their kids to a public school, how are they enriching that and then providing some extra education outside that has the ability to deliver a better result? So it's not a one-size-fits-all situation because much as I would love for us to instantly mutate to the kind of world that we'd like to live in, like it's about incremental progress and we have to make whatever incremental progress we can from where we are right now. You agree with that, James? Fully agree. Yeah. I mean, it's always about the individual circumstances, which is why I think there shouldn't be mandatory, compulsory, you must go here, you must do this type of rules in the first place. And of course, there should be much greater allowance for homeschooling and or unschooling, um, which is problematic in a lot of places around the world, not just there in the United States, but a lot of places around the world have various laws that, you know, children have to be in the school from this time to that time where they'll be truant and blah, blah, blah. And so, of course, there's a lot of structures that are put in place to basically compel um, the schooling system to uh, to continue along as it does. And I think that's going to have to change. I think it will change because, again, um, it's not about what what's being done to us so much as what people are doing. And we are changing the 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 ways in which people are educating themselves is evolving. And I think that's going to start filtering down to children as well as um, a generation of people who are now fully conversant online with podcasts and all the other things uh, are going to start seeking out alternative ways of of getting their children educated. Um, it's going to happen. It's just a question of what form that takes. And it, yeah, I, I neither I don't believe on, in central planning either as a even as a viable solution, let alone a desire desirable one. So I don't think there will be a um, a single way that this is going to unfold and that this is how it's going to work for everyone it's going to be it's going to be chaotic and it's going to be, happen in different ways in different times and places and there will be systems and things that emerge that will work better for more people and will be more widely adopted and there will be some that will be less uh, widely adopted but it will happen the only i think strictures on that will be the type of laws that try to confine and, and and make sure that only this type of schooling is allowable for for children and no oh, okay we'll let you school your own child but only if you follow this curriculum and you know do these standardized tests type of thing yeah and there will also be a lot of homeschooling and unschooling options that are fucking horrible um i mean you know not every experiment succeeds and, you know, a lot of the kids that I've had to work with have gone through some sort of alternative educational model, and then it's utterly fucked them up. And then, you know, we have to come in and clean up the mess. Like, we have kids who are, you know, 
uh, a seventh grader that I've been working with, and she basically can't read. And her parents were spending tens of thousands of dollars a year on this alternative school, and it turned out that the school was basically just writing her journal entries um, as, uh, you know, so the parents would see, oh, great journal entries, she's writing really well, blah, blah, blah. Oh, turns out she actually doesn't have any skills, any comprehension, anything like that. So, you know, it's the reality is there are snake oil salesmen everywhere. You know, there are snake oil salesmen within the uh, state educational system. There are snake oil salesmen in the private educational system. Like, you know, it's really like caveat emptor out there. And, you know, it's it's just going to require a much smarter uh, populace that is better able to separate shit from Shinola. I mean, it comes down again and again to the wisdom to know the difference rather than being able to look things up. Because, again, like... You can look up a restaurant online, Ricky, or whatever, or a guitar model, and read a whole bunch of glowing reviews. But then there's a whole bunch of one-star reviews. What do you believe? And, you know, the real intelligence is the ability to sort through the five-star and the one-star reviews and figure out what's actually good and what's a pile of horseshit. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, we live in weird times because I think that's the, the skill that some way we – kids have to learn is is because now they have access to all this information like i mentioned but i think what really you know like we've talked about i've talked with both of you guys about what's intelligence and and what you know what what is you, you we say somebody's smart or somebody's intelligent but what do we actually mean when we say that and a lot of times it's just your ability to filter out bad information and get to the good information right i mean and uh, I think that's the tool that kids are going to have to, you know, use to filter. And now, now I think with so much information, I think it becomes an issue because now, you know, we, we, we all do podcasts. We all put content online. And I think initially it was like this exciting thing where just like now people have um, a way of getting this uncensored, uh, as you can tell by hunters and, and my swearing and F-bombs, uh, uncensored content <laughs> and uh, and. and and you can get all you know all this information, uh, and and that's alternative to what we're getting in schools, what we're getting on TV, on radio. But now there's so much information that you know before I kind of looked at the internet as like okay, you know there's not a whole lot of bad information I have to filter out. Most of the time, if I look in the right directions, I can find a lot of good information. But now it's like there's so much, just so much content that I feel like it almost gets harder to find you know, I guess, uh, people that don't have agendas now, because now I think with podcasts, but before when, when we all started podcasting, you know, you didn't have big corporations like ESPN and, and, you know, and, and all these big corporations that are jumping into doing these alternative, what were alternative medias. And now really everybody's involved. It's not really alternative anymore. Right. So now you have to filter out through the, the people who have agendas and people who 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 uh, are trying to sell your perspective yeah. or idea. I blame Joe Rogan. <laughs> he introduced podcasting to the normies. Who, you know, now it's all downhill. Um, permit me to take this conversation in a slightly different direction, but it picks up from what we're talking about because we're talking about motivation and why people learn things. And we talked about the, uh, the the origins of the modern schooling system. We talked about that Woodrow Wilson speech to quote, we want one class of persons to have a liberal education and we want another class of persons, a very much larger class of necessity in every society to forego the privileges of a liberal education and fit themselves to perform specific difficult manual tasks i.e we want obedient worker slaves for the factories but 
we are obviously in a very different historical period right now where there are clearly, I think by this point, very different economic uh, structures uh, taking place. We are not in the industrial or even the the near post-industrial society. We are moving far beyond that. And performing specific difficult manual tasks is clearly not the the future for anyone who's growing up today. Um, But that does raise the question, what, I mean, assuming, let's just put yourself in the shoes of the central planner, and let's assume that you had the best interests of society at heart. I mean, you just want to fit people to, to the type of life they're going to lead. What will that be? I mean, if we have a universal basic income and these AI robots, you know, going around doing all our tasks for us, what on earth is even the point of anything, of education or really anything at all? And what type of education would be would fit us for that society? Well, I I actually I'm I'm a a big fan of the, you know, of of sparking ideas and having discussions about universal uh, basic income, because I think that instead of doing the very robot like tasks we do every single day uh which i i see all the time people retire and they croak and and because they don't have a purpose they don't have a a hobby and why because that fucking job consumed their whole lives and so they didn't have time to maybe when they were in high school or 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 i think even a hunter you said this like uh i've heard you say this where it's i forget what grade at at a very young age you ask kids how um you know who's creative in the class and everybody raises their hand and then as you get older less kids raise their hand and uh and you know and i think that's that's a huge part of this issue where just like people look at universal basic income they're like well people are going to be lazy and people are going to do i'm like yeah because our system sucks and we've created machines so when these machines don't have that one task that they were told to do over and over again then they're lost but what we need to do is not create machines we need to create creative um, people who who look because the, the bottom line is that people all have passions people all you know when the kids are young like that example i used um about hunter and and the kids who are creative at a young age i mean kids do have uh hobbies and and things they're passionate about and if we can and if we can kind of uh uh highlight those things and have them uh chase those those passions then they wouldn't be these robots who don't have hobbies and aren't aren't creative you know when i when i was writing music and and i'd have friends are like oh i don't know how can you start from scratch and all of a sudden have lyrics and then write have guitar riffs and have melodies and like i could never do that i'm like no everybody can do it the only difference is that Mm -hmm. when you were in school getting uh you know paying attention to the teacher and 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 which probably led you to have a more successful job than me but uh, (laughs) but when you were doing that stuff uh I turned my sheet upside down and I was doodling and I was writing uh, lyrics or poetry and I was even getting in trouble for it because the teachers were saying I was, you know, I was satanic and suicidal and all this stuff and, and, uh, and, uh, and and I was getting in trouble because I was I was uh, focusing on this this thing that was much more intriguing to me, and this is the the creative, the imagination, and I never stopped doing that. And you did, and that's the difference between you and I is is that we all had those capabilities. The only difference is, you know, I continued growing on that, and and some people stopped. Yeah. So the the study that Ricky is referencing is actually from Adam Hansen, who's an innovation consultant, who's part of the mixed mental arts movement. Um, and you know, I think my answer sort of builds off Ricky's answer and is on his T-shirt. Um, so Ricky is wearing a dope mixed mental arts T-shirt, "Learn, Unlearn, Relearn," um, which comes from. Which you need to do about nine eleven, Hunter. 
You need to. I do, you, Dean. You, you got this far. You need to get this far and then this far. <laughs> this far, yeah. Um, so it comes from there's a dope Al- Alvin Toffler quote, the futurist, who said, The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. And that is really what it comes down to is, is that in an ever changing world, you have to constantly be adaptive. And, you know, humans are actually very good at that because humans are exist in an evolutionary system and we are adaptive creatures. We're the most adaptive creature on the planet. That's why we've been able to adapt to living in the Arctic, living in the desert, living in the rainforest, and now even living in space and living in these weird ass urban jungles that most of us now find in that are very, very far from our natural habitat. Um, so I think, you know, we absolutely have the capacity to do that. And as far as universal basic income goes, the one of the most interesting things is when you ask people what they would do with universal basic income, they all say, oh, I do something creative, something good for society, something that would really make the world a better place. And then when you ask them what other people would do with universal basic income, they'd be like, they'd be a bunch of fucking lazy bums. They're all mooches. <laughs> you know, so I think there is that basic asymmetry, and again, it is that that leap of faith. You know, and you know, I don't think that we should just blindly take that leap of faith, but I think that increasingly, as we come to understand better our own potential and other people's potential, and come to understand each other better, we might be more willing to look at something like universal basic income and say, hey, if we free people up from a position of scarcity and we create the right culture, then maybe more and more of us will just devote our time to innovating a better and better system. Yeah, I, I agree, theoretically. I just, like, yeah, universal basic income. Uh, I can't get behind that idea. I don't know, I look at China. Now they're doing their social credit scores, and if you say bad things about the government on you know social media, they'll they'll dock your score and if you get a low enough score they won't let you travel like literally on planes or trains or buses or things i wonder i i just mm, I, I have a fleeting suspicion that if we get some sort of universal basic income maybe it'll be tied to being a good citizen here good boy you can have some universal basic income. oh you said a naughty thing you protested well, against the government we better not give you your share well, we, so we, i just see the control that is implicit in any system where don't worry we'll take care of you because we love you well, no it's um, like black 100 i reject like that, black but. mirror that episode of black mirror same thing and i swear we're not that far from that anyways that black mirror episode where you are you can get uh special treatment if if everybody rates you well you know based on their interaction with you and all that stuff i mean aren't we there now where people are are putting pictures specifically because they'll get more likes uh twitter all this stuff you know they'll they'll post stuff on uh on on twitter that they know will get retweeted or they say something favorable or whatever i mean we kind of live in that that world and uh and which is Another huge issue because, you know, how many ideas are, are, I mean, we're still tribal people, you know, we're still, I mean, look at all this, uh, you know, um, the intellectual dark web with, uh, you know, uh, Dave Rubin and, 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 uh, and Jordan Peterson and, and, and Sam Harris and all the, you know, uh, Weinstein and all these guys, you know, this, uh, I think this is the intellectual dark web, what you guys are doing, because you're really questioning things and having uh, actual debates and discussions and, and really looking down every road regardless where it leads and uh and but i I think i don't know i mean i just i it's it's a weird world we live in and i'm 
really stalling because I forgot what my question was. And um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I th- I think listen, just to just to build off of James's point, uh, you know, any time that you, I mean, this is a mistake the Soviet Union made. You centralize financial power, and it's for the public good. Well, of course, then what happens is is that people end up using it for their own personal good at the expense of a large number of people. So you know, universal basic income comes full of all sorts of problems, right? There are also real problems that come with not having a decent social safety net. I mean, that's a lot of what's going on in the United States right now. I mean, you know, James lives in Japan. I mean, Japan has a pretty strong government, has a pretty strong social safety net. The United States does not. Um, And there are a lot of people who are falling through the cracks. And, you know, they not only don't have a strong state social safety net, then on top of that, Americans are so individualistic, they don't have much community. I mean, that was part of what I was talking about this morning with uh, Nemer, who's a big uh, Lebanese-American comedian. You know, when he looks at, you know, the Arab world, right, you've always got, like, cousins and relatives who have your back. Here, if, you know, you can't pay a medical bill, you're fucked. You just have to declare bankruptcy. So the the challenge is, again, like... I think culture, you talk a lot about this, Hunter, and I think this is a huge issue because I come from a, from another country. I'm a foreigner. You know, uh, I don't have my wallet on me or I showed you my permanent resident card to make sure that nobody deports me. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a foreigner. And, and, and the thing is that, like, so all these foreigners, and, and I, I hear this over and over again, right? So I hear other Portuguese people and other foreigners that come here say, all those Portuguese back in, in, in Europe, they're lazy. The hardworking ones came here. So it's like, okay, there's some truth to that, I guess. So they come here, they focus on, I mean, the purpose they come here most of the time is not because, I, I, I mean, I have whatever other alternative reasons, but I mostly because they want to get financially ahead. They want to have a better financial life for their children, right? But there's something they sacrifice in doing that, that what happens is that you end up focusing so much on getting financially ahead that some of the things that are really important, like, you know, family having dinner together and, 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 um, you know, just spending time together and, and, and enjoying culture and, and, and music and foods and, and whatever culture you're in, just in, enjoying things as a group, as uh, in these groups and, and having some sense of community. We lose that. Everybody has these, indi- like you said, these individual uh, motives where it's just like, it's all about, well, I got to get financially ahead. I got to look at, after my family. But you see it all the time where you hear about athletes, for example, right? Athletes that talk about being homeless. They're homeless. And and they live in cars with their parents, uh, and yet they have. Once they succeed, uh, you see how much they love their parents. Their parents at the uh, front row of every game, and they have this amazing relationship with their parents. But they didn't have money. And then you see celebrities and and other, you know and other um, uh, you know famous people who grew up in the suburbs, and and their parents gave them what they thought they were supposed to do, and that gave them this huge house and this great uh, all this money to go to go to this expensive school and all this stuff. And those kids are on pills and addicted to drugs and unhappy. So it's like we. We, what ends up happening is we end up coming here as foreigners. We focus on this idea of this American dream, what I call this this false American dream, this uh, this idea that like m- money will bring you happiness and or at least uh, that's what your focus should be. This peer, you know, what Thaddeus Russell again. I guess he keeps bringing get brought up in this podcast but what he talks about the puritan ancestors this idea that it's all about work and it doesn't matter if if it's uh fulfilling work it doesn't matter if it's if it's uh, you know if there's any other um good reason behind it. it's all about work and work is always good regardless if it's unfulfilling regardless if you get the pay sucks but if you work 
that's important. And uh, so we focus on, on that mentality and then we lose all the other things that actually make us happy. So we end up going down this road that's supposed to lead us to success and we end up having financial success, losing all these other things that are actually important and we end up unhappy. So it's like, you know, like Chris Ryan says, you know, uh, civilize the death. It's like, you know, his that whole idea of like, what is what the fuck is progress and are we really progressing? And, and you go look at in Europe, I have family in Europe that they work you know 30 hours a week or whatever it is 25 hours a week they uh they they live off much less they don't have the newest car they might not have the biggest house but they're all happy as hell and they spend time with their more time with their friends and i always say like if i can spend more time doing things i i like to do and less time doing things i have to do i'm probably going to be happier so you know in america we we've lost that even though we come from cultures where you know, my father grew up in, in, in a house of one of 12 kids where they didn't have running water, but they were all happy. They grew up, they were always together, they, they ate, they drank together, this and that, and, uh, and everybody was happy. And then you come here and you're, you're overstressed with bills and, and checking your credit score and, and trying to get loans for this and loans for that, and, uh, and then you're, you're unhappy. So it's like we're, we're a lost society. What shall it profit a man to gain the world if he should lose his soul? I mean, these are very, very old problems, Ricky. I don't think these are new problems. And, you know, the problem of how to tell shit from Shinola, I mean, the word intelligent, the Roman roots are interlegere, to choose between. So the Romans understood what wisdom was, and they that's what intelligence is. It's the ability to tell you know, a good apple from a bad apple, to tell wheat from chaff, to tell, you know, sheep from goats. So these are age-old problems of uh, the human system, and, you know, it's the age-old problem of any evolutionary system. You know, you're going to have mimicry. Like, you're going to have the real deal, and you're going to have the fake, and it's cheaper to produce the fake than to produce the real deal. And, you know, I think that the reality is, is that, you know, I think the really exciting thing, I mean, you brought up the intellectual dark web, the intellectual dark web is the most fucking boring thing I've ever seen. Um, and what's actually interesting is when people stop being enthralled by any one media outlet and start deciding how they want to live their own lives and cobbling together their own toolkit to invent a better life for them and theirs uh, based on what their particular needs and desires are. It's the really interesting thing is when humans start trusting their own intelligence and start thinking for themselves and figuring out what they want their lives to be. Because then you're going to see a level of innovation and thoughtfulness and reflection that we haven't seen before. And that's what real education is. Well, that's a great point to start winding things up on. Speaking of taking our lives back into our own hands, I'm going to have to take my life back into my own hands and begin working or continue working on my next podcast. But before I go, um, may I suggest a follow-up to this conversation? Because I think we have talked a lot about the problem, but not so much about the solution. And I think we should probably have a dedicated conversation to talking about solutions, or at least proposed solutions for alternative education methods and things that are possible now that were unthinkable before. So um, that's, uh, we'll leave people hanging on that if you guys are are game for it. But also, I want to uh, bring up something about regarding the topics we're just talking about, um, talking about culture and society um, and the safety net and that idea. And I think it's 
uh, again, me being a, a conspiracy theorist, think there's a malicious uh, entity at work here, but uh, I think it's quite clear that the rise of government as the provider of social safety net is in, uh, in exact inverse proportion to the decline of community structures in a variety of different um, contexts. And a fascinating book that I'm just starting to read, so I can't recommend it, I suppose, as a book, but at, at any rate, I've read about it and I'm starting to read it. It's a fascinating book called From Mutual Aid to the uh, Welfare State, talking about uh, what, before the government and this social safety net that they provide, how could people possibly take care of each other? Oh, wait, no, that really did exist, and there were mutual aid societies. In fact, there was an incredible tradition of that in the United States specifically that was uh, essentially attacked by the AMI and the various organizations that were, came along with Carnegie and Rockefeller help and funding um, to destroy the, the existing infrastructure, the social safety infrastructure that existed for people voluntarily banding together to take care of each other as humans want to do because we are social animals and we care about each other. Social beings, I should say. I'm not trying to animalize us. Um, but uh, uh, that existed and was destroyed and we have now, when you talk about the social safety net, the only possible thing is for it to be handed down from on high by a government that cares about you and loves you and wants to take care of you. And I, I just bring that up as an historical example of some of the ways that society can be structured so that we can't even begin to think about some of these issues in, in ways outside of the boundaries of the box that we're given to think of them in. Um, I, I, anyway, I just bring that up as, as a sort of uh, a topic, but I think it's a fascinating, I mean, all of everything what we've talked about today is fascinating and it's part and parcel of the revolution that is ongoing right now that we are we are a part of, we are, and the conversations like this is part of the revolution that is happening. And I don't mean that to sound grandiose. I think everyone who's participating in this, everyone who's listening and downloading these podcasts is participating in this new form that is developing for people to share information, process information, come to new and different conclusions in ways that would have been impossible or unthinkable even decades ago. I think that's exciting. And I think there is hope in that. Um, and I think to a large extent, I always think it's about what we do with that and how we steer this technology, uh, this technology and this revolution generally that's taking place, which is why I would love to follow this up with uh, a podcast dedicated to, to more of that aspect of the discussion. Agreed. Absolutely. And one thing uh, just to, to kind of uh, 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 talk about the example you're, you're making is that. There were, you know, the founding fathers wrote about how people, you know, when they went, to, when uh, the natives captured uh, women, they would go back to, to bring them back to the Europeans, and they didn't want to leave. They actually liked the the lifestyle of of you know the, the way the natives were living, the sharing, the the everybody kind of being a community and all this stuff. So uh, I I think even though I don't know if you guys, I know you guys probably aren't big fans of the Zion Guys uh, film series, but I think the one really important thing about that film series is that it it, it helped people realize that the system that we've, we we are told is the only system that works, that that's not true. And there could be other systems and there are other ways of looking at things. And we need to maybe sometimes just completely start from scratch. I mean, um, and and I think when you look at, you know, I know, Hunter, you said this is kind of a, a old problem uh, or d these aren't new problems. But, you know, you look at Hunter gatherer societies i mean people you know in many cases you did see people with without uh you know that getting the 
getting along and and kind of living off the land and everybody was a part of you know it takes a tribe everybody was a part of uh, of the uh, of the nurturing the children and all this stuff and and um and i think little by little you see our society getting further and further away from that so in in some sense i mean we almost do have to take a step backwards and in in some sense like you see you see you see much less stay-at-home moms than you've ever seen. You see much less, um, which means what? You know, our shitty school systems, which we talk about, end up being a huge influence on our children, which makes them, you know, these machines, these non-critical thinking, you know, just robots and, and zombies. So, um, you know, in some sense, there probably, you know, there are some problems that are old, but I think there's also a lot of new problems because of the the road that society is going down and 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 the lack of family and community and all these issues which i think is linked to what we're talking about yeah well you know as mark twain said history doesn't repeat itself but it sure does rhyme so it's not exactly the same as it was but there's a lot of age-old patterns and i mean you know i think that uh james has to go but um, one thing that I will say is, is that, you know, hunter-gatherers definitely have a lot to teach us. And a lot of what, you know, we can learn from your example, Ricky, and from all of our examples educationally, is that the educational system is not designed for humans. It's designed for some sort of abstract conception of how a human being should work. And, you know, what I would love to do as we talk about practical solutions in the next podcast is to really dial in on the biology um, so that we can really look at what is it that works for, as James said, social beings. Like, how should you design an educational system for social beings? That's the really big question. Yeah. And, and my goal is uh, I don't think after this podcast we're all going to get ice cream, but I'm hoping after the next one <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll all agree at the end. And then- and we'll be uh, on, on, you know, we'll find more things in, in common. So uh, we'll, we'll work on that. But I, I think, you know, the reason why I want to get you guys together is because you're, you're, you're like I always say, I, I love people who aren't just willing to share ideas, but they're willing to 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 challenge ideas and have their ideas challenge and, and are open to that. Because that's, I think, one thing that is super important and we can't stress enough is, is not just, uh, you know, don't fall in any dogma. Don't join a hunter's cult because he will definitely bang your wife uh you know just uh be open to getting your ideas challenged and and, uh and i think that's that's super important that's something i do all the time and that's what i love about having you guys on because my own ideas are being challenged as we record and hold up james from whatever task we're holding him up from (laughs) (laughs) saving the world one podcast at a time Uh, but but thanks a lot guys listen yeah yeah oh plug if we do go get ice cream we're getting ice cream with James because mochi is fucking delicious. <laughs> mochi or matcha? Oh, or matcha mochi. Could be either well, one. Yeah, could be. All right. Yeah, I'm watching my girlish figure, so I'll probably just have yogurt, but you know. <laughs> oh, live a little, James. I'm no live fun. A little. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but thanks guys i really appreciate the conversation thanks again for taking the time to uh, talk to us uh feel free to share this on any of your platforms um this i i think we all agree that getting these conversations out is by far the most important thing much more important than uh any of us getting famous and uh and you know and and get, yeah well I'm, yeah exactly getting famous isn't really that important yeah. <laughs> well yeah and in case it's not clear i hope hunter you understand i give you a hard time about 9-11 but that's only because i too believed the official story for a very long time so i i'm fully um sympathetic to 
what you are saying and i'm open also to being challenged on my own opinions on subjects like this i just you know i have to say what i believe as well yeah totally and i think the main thing is is that a real education is not what we're going to tell you to think but we're going to make allow you to question every narrative and then decide based on the facts available um yeah, so I think that's the point is is that it's not in the end if this you know good good science and good journalism are very much the same thing. It's not about any of us. It's ultimately going to be decided by sifting through the facts and seeing what narrative best fits all the available data. And and Hunter, as you mentioned many times before, we're emotional creatures. We're going to be very much. Uh, we we think we look at the evidence and we come up with a conclusion, but the truth is, a lot of times we have a conclusion and look for evidence to back that conclusion. And uh, regardless where you stand on any issue, so I think that's something we have to catch ourselves in, and uh, and and really be willing to look at every perspective. And I know, Ricky, that that's certainly true for me with ice cream. Uh, I make emotional decisions about ice cream and then recruit facts to justify the fact that, yes, I do deserve ice cream. Um, so, yeah. But but thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for your time. And uh, we'll keep in touch and we'll, we'll definitely schedule the, the next one very soon. All right. Looking awesome. forward to Talk it. Talk to you guys soon. Hey, take, care, take care, guys. Thank you.